Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. That's that's my life. Thinking that I'm doing something cool and I'm not at all. Hi, welcome to Crush the Podcast. I'm Kirsten Lyons, and I'm joined by my co-host and cousin. Aaron Raider Store. You did it. You said your last name. I did. Name. I said my whole name. I did some breathing I, practice. I, got I really out. hope later on in this season, Aaron Rambo comes back. She's tough, but she takes no guff. All right. So this is going to be a fantastic episode, as you can already <laughs> tell. Um, I am really excited about introducing who's about to be on our podcast. But first, Aaron, how was your week? My week was good. Uh, you know, Putting out the podcast was terrifying in ways that I didn't expect. I kind of had this realization I've never like anything creative I've ever done. I've I've never shared about it on social media. I kind of just did it and then never told anyone. So this was a new, new obstacle for me. And it was definitely terrifying, but everybody was super supportive. So thank you to everyone. You know what I think is really interesting, and we didn't even talk about this beforehand, but that kind of leads into this week's episode um, with our guest, Erica Campbell, which is she talks a lot about sharing and sharing your work and sharing what you're doing and and trying those first little baby steps um, and how scary that is, but how important that is. So I, yeah. thank you. Thank you for leading us into that, Erin. <laughs> it was. It was It was exactly what I needed to hear. And then going back through when we were like working on the episode, I kind of realized I was like, wow, she even talks about the importance of like, it's important to also share not just the the great stuff you make, but even the not as great stuff or the mess ups and stuff like that and how important that can be. You know, it's interesting that you say that because I feel vulnerably like what I keep, it's not so much the sharing for me, but for me, what's feeling like uncomfortable or terrifying is this idea that we're starting from such a ground zero with this, you know, like, I mean, before we I think we had five followers and one of them was me. It feels like this daunting, overwhelming thing where you see these podcasts that have, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of followers. And it just feels like, oh my God, what are we doing? Like, are we doing the right thing? Should we be doing this? And, you know, I just keep thinking of Anna and Frozen 2, like the next right thing, you know? And so, um, oh, that was a cute little face. I'm excited as scary as this is to kind of put ourselves out there. So, and I'm really grateful. we're, We're kind of spoon fed this idea of like, you know, life doesn't always go the way you plan it. And then you're kind of like, okay, then, then what do I do? And then people are just like, <laughs> right. that's it. That's right. all I got. <laughs> right. They're like, oh, and there's your quote. And you're like, could you follow that up with something? Yeah. <laughs> Today, we're going to follow it up with something. Someone, in fact, Erica, who we're, I'm really excited to have on this podcast. Um, she's, has this really like calm energy. Like there's something really like I don't know. I just like settle in. It feels like settling. Very in relaxing. Good, yeah. Like almost like a good book. Like it just feels like a, a cup of tea and just hanging out with Erica. And I think what's so um, like almost invigorating about talking to her is she is someone who's very successful in her business, but it's not where she thought she was going to end up. I, I think it's super exciting to talk to people that have had these great twists and turns and we all have. And I think what's so awesome about Erica is it wasn't just one or two. It was like pivot over here, duck over there, over the mountain over here, you know, through the drawbridge. I don't know. I, now it's a putt-putt golf Quite a course. journey. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so yeah. So anyway, um, 
you didn't ask me about my week. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. How was your week? Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for asking. It was fantastic. I watched Teen Beach Movie 1 and Teen Beach Movie 2 on Disney Channel with my daughter. Oh, I'm so glad you brought this up because there's something I need to share with the audience because I feel like they deserve to know this about you before they go any further. Okay. What's about to happen? I received a phone call from Kirsten and she said, one of the most heinous things that I have truly ever heard anyone say. She said, this was after I recommended they watch Teen Beach Movie 1 because it's a cute movie. Um, so really, like, you're the you're the catalyst for all of I your pain. I instigated this. You instigated I, your own pain. I had no idea it would end up this way. <laughs> um, she said that not only was Teen Beach Movie better than Camp Rock, which maybe, I'm sure there, an argument could be made there. She said it was better than High School Musical. And this isn't even me like, doing a bit this I was genuinely dumbfounded and I was like where where are you getting this like as somebody who worked in film I am just I'm shocked truly shocked I don't know if most people haven't seen Teen Beach movie she's still going the villain in that movie is not real like it's I don't know how to explain it he's like a isn't he like a robot who's the villain who's the villain oh I guess Sharpay in High School Musical a society, societal <laughs> norms. Give me three reasons you think it was better. Just three, maybe. I'm not. I'm scared to give you the I reasons because just... I think I'm gonna I'm gonna offend you even more. But the reasons are, the songs are better, the acting is better, and the story's better. The story is better. Are it's you a, kidding me? Okay, first of all, it's making fun of itself, which I love. It's funny, and it, I. I I don't, I, I, it's better. (laughs) Oh, guys, I don't know if this is the end of Crush the Podcast. I'm sorry. Was there a teen beach movie on ice? Was there a teen beach movie, The Tour? Can we just talk about levels of success right here? Like, you know, your opinion is in the minority, right? (laughs) Okay, wait a second. At no point did I say it was more successful. I said I liked it. I thought it was a better movie. I'm nervous about what kind of values you're instilling in your your daughter with this sort of like mentality. This is also frustrating because I worked so hard <laughs> to get her to be a high school musical person. And I, feel I like bought you've her just, a Letterman jacket on sale at Target, Aaron. I feel like you've just destroyed everything I've built with okay, this silly all, dance movie. <laughs> you're the one that caused yourself the pain. You should have. I was like, maybe we shouldn't watch this. And you were like, yeah, it's cute. I, I said it was cute. I said that it was cute. I did. I didn't say it was Oscar worthy, which clearly. Well, now that I've thoroughly offended my co-host, Aaron, um, we're just really excited about you hearing today's episode with Erica. Okay, um, I'll put it behind me. So without further ado, Erica. Top question. In sync or Backstreet Boys? I was definitely in sync. I just want to say, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time and your energy and coming here. Um, (laughs) I feel like we can now proceed with the interview because I know this, what, who was your, who was your guy? I, I like JC. Uh, Aaron is a, um, wait, what's your boy band again? I just forgot. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding? I'm so sorry. One direction, one D, one D. I'm so sorry. I almost just said new direction. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) <laughs> um, all right. So good. So knowing we're, so we're starting off on a good, good place within sync. All right. So we always start with our guests, the game of mash. If your 12 year old self, your perfect game of mash, was it a mansion, apartment, shack, or house that you were going to live in? I mean, of course a mansion. 
Right. I wanted, like I had, I drew it out and it had like five kids bedrooms. Cause I was going to have a lot of kids and they all had Jack and Jill bathrooms because I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. I just love that at 12, you knew what a Jack and Jill bathroom was. I don't think I had them oh. and it like the epitome of, oh. of like the best of the best. Yeah. Because you like met in the center. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So cool. There's a, there's a great scene in a the last Mary Kate and Ashley movie, New York Minute, because you know they they always play like complete opposites in each just movie. Thank you for bringing up Mary Kate and Ashley. We have not done that on this podcast yet, and I feel like just thank you for that. Okay, of sorry, course. go ahead. But they they meet in the middle in their Jack and Jill bathroom, and it's like split down the middle, and you can see her <laughs> side and her side, and how different they are. And I love. I was them. just gonna say, do you see like one's messy and one's clean? Always, yeah. always, always. That's how twins are. They're so different. I know this because I have twin sisters. Um, okay, so mansion with Jack and Jill bathrooms. Okay, who are you going to marry? Um, uh, Josh Hartnett. Ooh, I had a thing for him. He was not when I was 12 because I'm a little bit older than you, but Josh Hartnett. Also, what happened to Josh Hartnett? I've, I have Googled it and now I can't remember. I think he honestly was like, I'm kind of done with this business. I'm, I think he went to the Midwest. Who is he? What, like, what was he in? <gasps> look at guys i wish you could see erica's face right now she's so horribly offended uh pearl harbor he was in pearl the, harbor that's the where i really was introduced to him he was like the second to ben affleck so like ben affleck and kate oh my gosh beckinsale fell but i saw her one time that woman has the most amazing skin i've ever seen in my entire life like if I, if I could say, God, can I have the skin of someone? It would be Kate Beckinsale. She was like glowing walking down Santa Monica. Promenade. Do you think she was using uh, her <laughs> breast milk skin routine? Okay. I should say before we got on, we were talking about how breast milk is like the best for acne wrinkles or whatever. And I don't know if she could have, she has a kid or, you know, she's rich. She could get it from somewhere. Yeah, she could get it um, but anyway, so Ben Affleck and Kate Beckinsale have this like 1940s World War II love to last a lifetime. And then Ben goes off to the war and then he's missing an action and they presume him to be dead. And then her and her grief falls in love with uh, Josh Hartnett, who's like his best friend, or like little brother-esque best friend. They fall. Maybe she gets pregnant. Maybe Ben comes back. Maybe Ben has to like deal with it. Are you looking like, him up right now? Yeah. I've never seen any of the things he's in, but he's got IMDb credits to 2021. So he's still working. Oh, well, go Josh. I say that yeah. like I haven't worked in like five years. So who the heck am I? I'm not, <laughs> um, okay. So you would marry Josh Hartnett. Where would mm -hmm. you live? I wanted to live in Boulder. Okay. I did not know that's where we were going. Usually it's like <laughs> yeah. London, New York, Paris, yeah. LA. I wanted to go to the University of Colorado, Colorado at Boulder. And then like my plan was that's where I would fall in love with Josh Hartnett, you know, right. and then, and then I would live there and work at that time. I had never been to Colorado. So I don't know. How did you, how did you hear about Boulder? Like, where did that come from? Did one of your parents go there? No, I wanted to be a teacher and I researched that they had the best um, teaching program. Oh, that's wow. I wanted to go to Northwestern because Jonathan Taylor Thomas said he wanted to go there. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to go there for I acting. Go. Yeah. And he's going to go there for directing. Spoiler alert. It didn't happen. I did not go to Northwestern. You didn't uh, get into Northwestern. That's crazy. I didn't, I, I didn't even apply. 
Okay. And what was your career going to be teacher, right? Yeah, it was going to be, I wanted to be a third grade teacher. Oh my gosh. That's what, if I was going to teach, that was going to be me. I loved third grade. Did you have a great third grade teacher? Yes. Yes. And my grandmother was a third grade teacher before she had kids. And she told me granted, like I lived in Arizona where it didn't snow, but she told me that by third grade kids can put on their own, um, uh, boots and hats and they, but they still like their teacher. So it's like the perfect age. Oh, I love that's kind of like, that's a nice little meshing. And that's actually true. My daughter's in second grade and like she can put jackets and everything on, buckle herself in the car. It's like, it's a very low maintenance. Yeah. But she still likes me. You have a few more years. Oh yeah. I have a few more years, but I can already tell there's, she's, there's a lot of emotion within her. So I know that that's going to be directed toward me at some point I'm prepping. I'm definitely prepping. I'm realistic about it. Um, okay. So are you a teacher? I am not a teacher. I didn't Uh, even get a degree in education. Oh, and I want to talk more about that. Are you, do you live in Boulder? I do not. You do not. You live not near snowy climate at all. Did you marry Josh Hartnett? I didn't. You didn't. Okay. That would make sense because you weren't really sure what he was doing. So it would make sense. He's not currently with my daughter, but I will (laughs) say, I mean, when I'm looking back at all the things, I think my husband might be more handsome than Josh. Oh, and it could just be that I married, like that I, you know, I did (laughs) marry him. And there's that, you know, the chemicals that are released and you look at them every day. But But I think you're very handsome. I was going to say, I think your husband is quite handsome. Does he currently have a mustache? He sometimes does. He does. He He does. does. He does. Aaron's dad has, well, not currently. Does he currently have a mustache? He kind of has a goatee thing going on. But I'm a a big fan of like guys with facial hair in general. That's like a huge box for me. Yeah. The first time I met Bradley, my husband, he was completely clean shaven and there was a lot of other things, but I just thought he was too nice. And I was like, no. And then about three years later, when I saw him drive by, he had uh, like a stubbly beard and I was like, oh, hello. Interested. <laughs> um, okay. So let's go back to kind of this crushed, crushed moment. Um, okay. So you were, you were going, so you were going to school to be an educator. I did my freshman year of college. I went to school for, to study education. Did you go and did you go to school in Boulder? No, no, no. Oh, did you apply to Boulder? I did. I did not. So maybe the dream was, was, was waning a little. I mean, I was 12. So by the 18, by the time I was 18, I didn't, I was very practical by that time. And I was like, well, I don't, I mean, I was like, I don't want student debt. And then I still ended up with so much student debt. Um, I should have just gone to Boulder. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> so you, where did you end up going to school? I went to school um, at a little liberal arts school called Marion College in Indiana. Okay. From Arizona. Okay. And they offered me uh, a full ride um, for a program that was for people who wanted to live a life of service. Okay. And teachers were in that category. So I was like, I, you know, had these great dreams of changing the world and big ideas. Um, and it ended up being, it was in Indianapolis, but it was a school that all the kids would go home on the weekend. Like they were all from, from small towns. Like in the area. Yeah. Okay. And I drove my car out from Phoenix and it would just be my one red, like Toyota Camry, you know, it was my grandmother's car, just the sole car in the parking lot all weekend. Like every weekend. Yeah. 
So it was really rough. And um, I also found out that education, I was really bored in my classes. And I had was so invested in being a teacher that I spent like my summers helping my teacher, my previous teachers get ready for the next school year. Yes. Like it's very detailed. I had a classroom in my room, like things were, I was very serious about it. So my theory is that by the time I got to studying it, I was, I'd already lived my career. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you're saying. I totally know what you're saying. So it was very boring. And my teachers were like, look, this isn't challenging enough for you. Like you're bored in your classes. What if you studied something else? And I had never considered that before. Was that like, yeah. What what was that like when somebody's saying to you, have you ever considered something else? It was shocking. I can still remember walking from the like counselor's office back to my dorm room. Like my whole world kind of got turned upside down because I had literally never considered not like just going and being a third grade teacher. I think that is, I think that's what's so phenomenal about these crush stories in general. And, and is that when you've kind of had your whole life planned out, which so many of us do, whether we realize we do or not, it can happen, you know, when we're a freshman in college or it can happen when we're 30, but right. it, it is, or 50, but it's like one of these moments where it's like, this wasn't part of the plan. You know, my therapist says a lot, give me the grace to see God, give me the grace to see what you want me to see. And it's, I love that, that like thought and prayer and everything. And I think I didn't live that for like 35 years. I was like, no, I'm going here. Right. God, give me what I want to get here. Kind of a thing. Yeah. Right. I also it's, think it's so you, fixated. yeah, yes. you can, you kind of see these little signs maybe along the way and you're choosing to ignore them. You know, the, you, you start to yeah. feel those little seeds of doubt and you're like, no, that, that can't be it, you know? And, and you, yep. you kind of look around them. And then I think that almost compounds with that moment where someone else says it to you and it hits right. and then everything hits all at once. And my, I really enjoyed my sociology class and the sociology teacher was like, well, you could study education and then you could change more lives because you're working like systemically. Okay. And instead of just changing the lives of the 30 kids in your class, you'd be changing, you know, an entire country or whatever, you know, or district or yeah, it could be small to big, but yeah, a right, larger, exactly. a larger swath of people. Yeah. yeah. So I ended up transferring to a college in Chicago. I was like, get me to whatever big city I can go to. Okay. Okay. Here. And that's where I racked up all my student debt um, and studied sociology, but I was still also very set on this teaching thing. And so I um, applied to go to get my master's in education because I thought, well, I could just do it in one, like one or two years, get my master's, then become a teacher or do sociology kind of thing. Like who knows, but I, do you you look back? Not that I don't mean it from a regret standpoint, but do you look back and you think I just still had almost like these blinders on or do you see? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, well, I don't, I don't know if I even really knew what life was like outside of schools Mm. either like even Mm. when you think about it we were all in school so we go through life thinking that the world exists like schools exist yeah totally you know and I don't know if I really understood what life was like outside of it and fast forward a couple of years I was you know maybe it was three years or something later and I remember I took a day off in I was working in Brooklyn at a Mm -hmm. school 
Um, and I was in the administration mm-hmm. and, but same kind of schedule as the teachers. And I remember I took a day off because my parents came to town and I saw people in a coffee shop on like a Tuesday afternoon. And I was like, who are these people? And what do they do that they don't have to, like, we used to get docked if we were one minute late from seven 30 and with the trains in New York city, nothing was reliable. So if your train is late and you end up late, we would be running in because if you got docked enough, they would like start taking either pay or like vacation days and thinking like, I don't like what I'm doing right now. And who are these people out in the world? Like I, I, you know, you think that life exists after school, after 4 PM, when you try to rush to the post office or, you know, whatever, like, how do, how do you do any errands or things like that? You think it all happens after people get off of work. Then you move to LA and you find out the, the <laughs> world of freelancers and industry folks. It w- I remember one of my friends, she came to LA, like, you know, go get brunch or whatever. And she's like, why is this place filled? What do these people do? I'm like, this is Los Angeles. Like, she's like, what do they do for a job? I'm like, I'm not exactly sure. I'll get back to you. I don't know. <laughs> That's the first time I feel like at that age, you had that kind of like realization, right? Yeah. And I had been trying to figure out. So I was like, I either need to go and get my master's in education so I could actually teach. um, Or I need to figure out something else to do. I realized I did not want to spend my life in a school in the bureaucracy of education um, that there had to be a different path for, for me. Mm. And that was really the moment where I was like, I do not know what that path is. You know what I think is really interesting about this? So my husband was working with high schoolers. He was um, part of a nonprofit that worked with high schoolers when he was out of college. And I remember he wasn't, it wasn't like, he wasn't happy about it. Like it just wasn't bringing him like peace. And I remember, um, he said to his mom one time, he's like, yeah, I mean, there's this, but I just don't love it. And I remember his mom said, like, if you don't love it, then you're taking up somebody's. Right. Like sometimes I think, especially in education or other nonprofit or, or just difficult jobs that we feel like we're making the sacrifice, um, for the people that maybe we're helping or serving, but really it ends up being a disservice because I have a lot of friends who, who really do, love it and Mm -hmm. feel like they are fulfilled and, um, and fulfilled and filled by doing it, you know, and that wasn't my experience. Um, once I was actually in it. Yeah. And I think what also is really interesting about this and, um, Aaron, I kind of remember you talking about a professor that talked about this, but I think a lot of times people think their crushed moments or these, these kind of pivotal world changing upside down are always that something's happening to them. And in this instance, Aaron, I'll let you kind of, yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of always had this theory. I took my freshman seminar on Ted talks and it was the science behind basically like how to be a powerful communicator, public speaker, and, and tell a story. And I kind of came up with this idea for my Ted talk that was like, everyone, as I was meeting people in college, I was finding out that everyone seemed to have this plot twist in their life. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you, you'd get to know somebody's surface level. And then you find out what their thing was in life. It was sort of that, we call it the great pivot, the, that pivotal moment in which your whole life suddenly takes a different shape. 
where everything looks differently. It's there's the before that moment and the after that moment. And I, my professor kind of sat with it for a minute after I did my whole pitch and he was like, well, could you create your own plot twist? And this idea just like blew my mind that somebody could be shaped by something that they decided for themselves. And, and I would love to know what your, you know, okay. So you have this moment where you figure out like, okay, this isn't what I want. This isn't what I thought it would be not even just accepting, okay, now I have to figure out where to go, but how do you figure out where to go? You know what I mean? How did that go for you? So what happened is I, there is this prayer in um, Catholicism. I mean, there's a lot of prayers, but they're called novenas and you pray the same prayer for nine days. And then on, um, as I'm saying this, it's a little confusing because the one I did, it's the one that is actually like 25 days, it's 25 (laughs) days. Um, and anyway, you, you pray this something consistently for a certain period of time. It's almost like a meditation. Yeah. 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 And with an intention with, um, you know, a, a prayer that you have. And I remembered at that year that my grandmother who had passed away a couple of years prior had, um, framed for me this novena, this prayer that my great grandmother had written on a piece of paper. And so I asked my mom, cause I knew it was at her house. I was like, could you show me, like, could you take a picture of what that, what that prayer is and send it to me? And so I started praying, um, that, that winter for this intention of like my life path, like what, where do I go from here? What, mm. um, to kind of enlighten me to another way. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really prayed for that and halfway through, probably I had this thought kind of out of nowhere. Like, what if I became a calligrapher and as a little backstory, I I had started learning calligraphy. It wasn't like I had never touched a a pen and ink, you know, but (laughs) I, I, I was not good at it. And this was kind of before the craze of calligraphy that kind of came into, um, the the Pinterest world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I had remembered. So, so really also right before this, I got sober and it's, that can take an entire huge, (laughs) um, uh, podcast to talk about that. But, but in November I got sober Um, and I used calligraphy. I I needed something to do at night because New York winters are long winter nights are long and I had so much anxiety and I could no longer turn to alcohol to, to solve that. And so I needed something to do. And I started teaching myself calligraphy. So like fast forward a month and I'm thinking I could be a calligrapher for a living. And I had to Google, like, so after that, I'm like, what does a calligrapher do? Like, how do you you even make money doing that? What do you do? Um, Was Etsy big? Like, was that even a possibility? Yeah, Etsy Etsy was around. Um, I hadn't thought of selling things on there yet. Or like selling, I didn't even know, like, you could sell stuff. It's very funny. I can look back at the Christmas presents that I gave people that year of my calligraphy. And like, I was using the wrong side of the mid. <laughs> like, it was not good. Um, but wait, really quickly, like, 
isn't that so much almost like a child, right? Like I think, so the first thing I ever wrote, the first script I ever wrote guys is terrible, terrible, but I gave it to my family. I'm trying to think the year, I think it was like 2008, but I gave it to my family, like wrapped up with a bow. And I was like, oh my gosh. here's, I've been working on this for so long. Personally, I had no money. I was a struggling actress. So every year I would give my family presents from the 99 cent store, which was like, ended up being like some of the most fun times we've ever had because I was literally like, I couldn't even pay for a plane ticket home. My parents had to help me out with that. But I was like, here's my script that I wrote. And like, I don't know if anybody actually read it or kept it. I hope it was burned and like the heaping dumpster fire that was 2020. But yeah, no. That's the same energy as your daughter giving us all acrostic poems. So this year, um, Ellie gave us all seven. We're both adults at this point, Erica, but my daughter is seven. Gave us an acrostic poem um, with our names on them, but they weren't like, you know how normally it would be like E is for elegant, elegant. She just did words she knew that started with those letters. So I think mine was like elephant, rat, uh, I don't know. I was igloo. Every, yeah. Every, every R was rat. That was amazing. <laughs> okay. The so confidence sorry. of a child, right? Before yes. we learn these things that like, we're too scared. We're too afraid to even show someone yeah. something that we did that we're learning or we're interested in. I think that is such a, it's such an insight to what happens, especially you know, I notice a lot of people, they write into me now and say like, well, how do you get started? How do you do this? I'm scared. What if it's not good? And I'm like, look, the thing that you have to do is do it Mm. and and share it. Like Mm. no one is asking you to be perfect at it, but the only way to get better is not just, I mean, some people maybe won't share it, but it's that sharing Mm -hmm. that, um, is vulnerable. And that might be a piece that is really important to all of it. Like you have to be vulnerable to take these, um, vulnerable to life itself. Mm. I think also what's so interesting about that is, is kind of going back to this openness. Like if we don't Mm -hmm. take those moments where we take a chance and we try and then eventually share, we also won't know if it's even the right step for us. Right. Like here you are going toward teaching. Thank God that you went toward teaching. And then you're like, wait a second. Like right. this isn't the right movement. So I'm going to, you know, go over here. I will say, so this guy I had been talking to at the time, I shared this vulnerably. Like I, I just, it just came to me, this idea I could be a calligrapher and I rode my bike all over New York. I, I loved my bike. That is my preferred mode of transportation. And so he was like, oh, what are you going to do? Uh, put a sign on the back of your bike that says calligrapher. I remember like- Thanks guy. Thanks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I will admit, like I, I shut that down in myself of like, you sh- that's a bad idea. You, sh- oh, so you shut the idea down, not shut yeah. him down. You yeah, shut no, the I didn't idea shut down. him down. No, no, no. I wanted him to like me. Right, <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. How many times have I like- It's a running yes. theme. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay, I yeah, know that's a, that is a silly idea. I don't even yeah. know where I came up with that. And I really did. I, I was like, okay, well, yes, that's not, that's a bad idea. And mm. went back to looking for like nonprofit jobs. Wow. And I, you know, what I think is really interesting about this is that, okay, so not only as human beings, do we struggle with our value and our worth, 
But then we also struggle with the value and the worth of quote unquote, what we're supposed to be doing. It is one of those things where it's so fascinating to me as women, and I don't know if it's just women, but I think we tend to do it more where we kind of receive that and we're just like, oh yeah, no, that's stupid. Why? Yeah. 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 Like, well, okay. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Like I didn't challenge him on that. Okay. So then, but how did you get from point A to point B? Because you did become a calligrapher. Yeah. Right. So then, um, around the same time, a lot of life changes. I was like, what am I doing in New York? I don't like it here. I'm far Mm. from my family. I'm too poor to fly home, uh, frequently. I need sun. And I had visited my friend in Los Angeles and I was like, wow, you have picked the better path. Like this is much better than (laughs) where I am right now. Yeah. And so I called my brother and I said, Hey, do you want to move to LA with me? And we did, um, the next summer. I thought you were going to say the next day and we did the next day, the next day. No, I had to wait out my lease. Right. Right. But, um, so then, uh, I was still looking for work kind of wrapping things up in, I mean, I was still working at the school, right. But trying to figure that out. And, and then a friend of mine, um, through Instagram, cause of course I was started to share my, my, um, lettering, mm-hmm. thing, uh, asked me if I would letter a quote for her to put up in her living room and she still has it there. Oh. And it was the first, I charged her $20 for it. And I think I did like maybe 20 versions of it before I sent her one. Like I really worked hard on it. Yeah. And, um, and then I made some postcards with, um, some like little cacti succulents. Okay. Wrote like, thank you underneath. And then I reproduced those. Um, and then my brother was like, well, you should have an Etsy, Etsy shop. And I was like, what? Like, I don't. (laughs) understand this, but he was really my cheer cheerleader. I will, I, I give a lot of credit that my brother was the one who convinced me to, to, to start my company. Um, I don't think I am certain neither of us knew what it would turn into day to day. I, you know, week to week, month to month, I don't know what it's turning into, but way back then, like he just really encouraged me and saw something in me that I wasn't able to see in myself. Hmm. Um, And, but I just always figured it would just be like a side thing. Like, you know, you sell something for 20 bucks. I wasn't making like a profit. Right. Right. You know? Um, And so I moved to LA that summer and I started working for um, wedding planners, like the best Mm -hmm. wedding planners in LA as an intern, because I wanted to see if I wanted to like be an event planner. You know, I was like trying to figure out away like where do I go so I tested that out and I learned I did not want to do that something else I really like about this is you're trying you're like okay do I I okay this is interesting to me do I like nope that's nope that's not it okay let me go over here in those moments were you like okay in the teaching moment and the teacher moment as well as this moment did you like belittle yourself and, and were you like, oh, so stupid. Why did I do that? Or were you like, okay, that's not it. Yeah. I think it was a, a lot of um, like, well, I'm glad I tried that out before I just jumped in. There were just like certain aspects of that lifestyle that I didn't want to live. I had gotten my expenses to be so low in LA that I didn't need 
I look back, I mean, I, I, I definitely needed a little bit more than I was bringing in, but I had saved some money to allow myself the exploration. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I knew that I had to, I had to keep trying things. I can't say a bunch of doors were opening elsewhere, you know, but I yeah. was like, okay, I, I was getting paid $10 an hour and I can say that I did it. Now I can, I can try something else. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And there was a point where I was like starting to get really nervous about um, like my savings being used up. What mm-hmm. was I going to do? And so I had moved in August and it was now like December and I didn't, and I had done the internship for three months. They wanted to keep me on. And I was like, no, thanks. Like, I love what you're doing, but it's not for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I had learned some industry tricks, you know, like I'd learned a where a printer was, I saw how they did invitations, um, kind of some of those things of like how an event planner uses a calligrapher and a designer. And some people had asked me, um, some people I knew, like through other friends or someone from mm-hmm. high school had asked me to do their wedding invitations and like, God bless them because I had my own wedding and like, I see what goes into, all of the tiny details. And these mm-hmm. people took a chance on me when I still didn't know what I was doing. Also wasn't that good. Like, you know, when I look back at them. Um, so I was just doing that. And through that, I was teaching myself the programs that I needed to learn design. So instead of going to school, I was teaching myself on Skillshare, like okay. Adobe InDesign, just like every time I came up against something that I didn't know how to do, I would go research and learn how to do it. Basically, really quickly to end that story, I was still applying for nonprofit jobs. Like I was like, wow, people are just wasting money left and right in LA. And Mm -hmm. I had lived, skipped over this part of the story. I lived in Brazil in extreme poverty with people. And I had a really difficult time watching the way people like threw money around in LA, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. knowing that people were suffering so much in the world um, and trying to justify that. So I was like, at least if I work for a nonprofit, but no doors were opening for me. Like I was going on job interviews and I was being offered no jobs. And there was a point um, in February, I was, I was going to daily mass because I had a lot of time on my hands because I wasn't really working. And I remember um, this moment again, sitting there in prayer of like, what if I quit looking for other jobs and I just focused on being a calligrapher? Mm. And I was so scared to take the leap to, um, you know, I was spending so much time looking for work, so much time going on interviews, so much time like daydreaming about what it was going to be like when I got that job or mm. like how things would change if I was doing that. And I had this thing that I was able to do. I was learning to do and I was getting jobs. I mean, I was just going to say doors were opening. The doors were opening. Mm. And it was there in February that I decided I I was just going to um, trust and kind of jump all in. And there's this great quote. I was doing the artist's way. It says in there, leap and the net will appear. Mm. And that became so important for me in that moment. Like that was my moment of leaping. That is so true. Like jump and the net will appear, but all the back work that it took to get Mm -hmm. there. I think a lot of people, they like come out of college or they're about, you know, about to apply for college and they think 
they take these quotes in a, in a weird way. I don't know if it's out of context, but they kind of take these quotes and they're like, I'll just jump and then that will appear kind of a right. thing as opposed to, well, let's look at actually the reality of the situation is we tried this and that, that wasn't working. And then I tried this and okay, I learned some things from it, but that didn't work. But, and then this guy over here said this and that, what, how did I, how did I react to that? And like, you're right. kind of watching this trajectory of your life, you know, like almost like this, this roadmap or this, this treasure map, you know? And I think what's so beautiful is you're in this place, but this, it's not like you just, I don't know. It's not like you just jumped and it and net came right. it's really like, there's so much that came before it, that, that net, that net is still so much about trust, but it's, mm-hmm. um, uh, well, it's a guided trust. I don't know if that, if, yeah. I also think, you know, we talk a lot about the whole, like, oh, that's not your door you know, doors are opening left and right. And the one you keep trying to open, maybe it's just not your door, but you know, we're kind of fed the opposite of that belief system, which is like, just keep working, just keep going, like, just keep digging. It's, I don't know if you guys have seen that image, but it's the guy who's like digging the hole. And then right as he stops, he's like an inch away from the big diamond. And it's like, and it's just so interesting because I've, I don't think I've ever heard anyone be like, no, I, you know, I, I didn't give up without any kind of a pivot or any kind of reevaluation, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we go into college. I mean, I really didn't think that there was, um, I mean, we don't know anything by the time that we get to college Yeah. and I, I imagined it to be like, I go to, like, I go to college and then I get a job and then I work that job until I die, you know? And I really didn't understand. And I, and I didn't have any way of knowing cause I don't think I saw into the window of, um, and I do know people who maybe they don't have the same job, but they're working in the same field with what they graduated and it, and it is a little bit more straight, but I don't think that that's the common, um, experience. And what does that look like to explore, allow ourselves to try different things and, to be open to one thing leading to the next or not leading to the next thing um, that I think is something that is so important to look at. I think like what you're saying, these aren't moments of complete and utter despair, even though at the time, I mean, they do feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But kind of propels you into the next thing. And then allows you to keep going, you know? Totally. And, you know, it's one of those things where I realized, I mean, this was only a couple of years ago, but it was kind of this thing that I realized that I was always telling life what to do, mm-hmm. but I actually wasn't, you know, letting life tell me. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. I don't yeah. mean it from a lack of empowerment. I mean, from like, again, I had these like blinders on and I just wasn't seeing what was around me. So yeah. it's, it's encouraging to hear a story for someone that's saying, you know, I took a beat. I looked around, I was aware of what's around and, and look what happened because of that. It doesn't mean that everything worked out so rosy and perfect. It just means that when I was looking at actually what was in front of me, I, instead of just looking straight ahead, I was kind of turning to my left and turning to my right and maybe even turning around, you know? Right. Right. Which is, which is really, really, I just think is super, super encouraging. 
Okay, so thank you so much for being here. But before we end, we have a couple questions that we ask everybody. And the first one is, what's something you wish you could tell your 12? I think I wish I could tell my 12-year-old self to um, be a be a child for mm. longer and don't feel like I need to, A, figure everything out, um, that my straight A's really won't matter that much. <laughs> And to spend a little bit more time doing um, fun activities mm. rather than feeling like life is so serious and um, stressful. I love just like be a child a little bit more. Yeah. Um, okay. What is the worst advice you've ever gotten? I was like, I need to think about this. Maybe one. don't be a, and, what's a calligrapher? Uh. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think, um, yeah. What is, man, I mean, the worst advice. Um, I like that. I wish everybody could see right now. She's pulled her hair off her face a little bit and she's looking out the window. It's a nice, it's a very nice, uh, like uh, promo shot. You know what? My worst advice ever was to take out student loans because everyone said college debt is good debt. And I don't think I agree. I I was going to college before the 2008 crash. And so that was the advice to kids going into college was like college debt is good debt. So it's okay to take out student loans. Cause it's, it's for your future and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. What is the best advice or one of the best? It doesn't have to be the supreme of it, but the best advice you've gotten. Um, the best advice that I have gotten is um, from my dear spiritual director. Uh, this idea, so many people try to, I was trying to figure out God's will for my life. Like, Mm -hmm. how was I to know this great thing that I was supposed to be doing with my life? And he told me that God's only will is to love. And so as long as I can love in what I'm doing, um, then I'm doing God's will. And that freed up my whole life. Okay. I just got a little teary eyed. That was really sweet. I love that. I don't even think sweets. No, I don't like that word sweet. That was really like meaningful. Yeah. I think there is. And I think also when you're doing something like the good work of nonprofit work or education or something, it can feel like I'm supposed to stay there because that is the the good stuff. That is the the helpful stuff or the serving stuff. And it's not that it's not, it is, it can be, but it's also like we need, love needs to be everywhere in every occupation and every place. And so I just love that. What a freeing, yeah. What a freeing thing. That's beautiful. Um, and speaking of love, what's your crush song? Like if you, if there's one song that kind of like encapsulates this, you know, life doesn't work out. It could be a breakup song or, uh, you know, your 12 year old cry song. Yeah. The, the song that I would, it was like in high school, like the first time that I really got crushed by a guy, my neighbor. Um, (laughs) and there was the the song Maps by the Yeah Yeah Yeahs, and it was on um, Guitar Hero. Guitar Hero was that the game you'd play? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was where I first heard it, and I would just like put it on my car radio and just sing like they they don't love you like I love you. Yeah. I also, oh, okay. I also love that you're like, it was on Guitar Hero. I can just see <laughs> yeah. like 12 year old you like with a, like a plastic guitar doing the thing, just like tears. Like he, sobbing. And yeah. me to it. Like we played at his house and I heard that oh. and then it like became like my sad song, oh. did he, which did I hadn't he thought of. Down? 
did he like totally reject you or was it just like you could tell it was never going to happen? Yeah, no. Well, we were like seeing each other and then all of a sudden we weren't, but he was quite a bit older, not quite a bit. I mean, I was still in high school. He was not in high school anymore. And like, yeah, I mean, I'm so grateful that didn't work out. (laughs) Isn't it? I want to end on that. End on the idea that these crushed moments, what I love about it is when you are removed from these crushed moments, 99% of them, you're like, I'm so grateful that didn't work out. I'm so grateful the pivot happened. I'm so grateful that I got crushed. Um, so I just love that. Thank you, Erica, so much. Thank you, guys. Um, you can fun. find her at beaheart.com, I believe. Yes. Yep. As always, I'm Kirsten. And I'm Erin. And this is Crushed, the podcast brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. You can find us on Instagram at Crushed Podcast. And we have new episodes out every Thursday available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Anywhere you find those fine podcasts. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. <laughs>And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.